0: Hello, this is Chris Eli Black, and you are listening to the New Manifest Theatre Podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to the New Manifest Theatre Podcast. I am Faith Anderson, an ensemble member at New Manifest Theatre and your host. This month, New Manifest is presenting our Manifest Minifest annual short play festival, September 24th through the 26th. This year's festival is highlighting four playwrights and four artist workshops, Today on the podcast, we are talking with one of our MiniFest playwrights, Chris Eli Black, the writer of Boy. I have the privilege of directing Boy by Chris Eli Black, which is one of our four shows being highlighted in our MiniFest this year. Chris, uh, could you please share with us a little bit about yourself and where your love for theater started?
0: Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, I am a writer for the page, stage and screen. And the kind of stories that I like to tell um, are kind of the stories that I don't think are represented enough in the theater or in the mainstream theater or in mainstream media um, anyway, which are the stories about those who are uh, usually quoted as being, you know, living on the margins or being underrepresented um, when they're none of those things, they're people and they live the same lives that we all live. they all you know just try to pay the bills and feed their families and just they might just live differently than us or look differently than us or choose to live their lives differently than us and and those are the kind of people and the kind of stories that I like telling um, through multiple mediums and multiple ways um, and you know my love for theater came really randomly. Um, it's just, it's a story I love to tell because it is the most like Hollywood movie, like out of left field kind of thing. Um, you know, I was not the kid who was an Annie when I was eight in the community theater. I didn't do any of that stuff. Um, it wasn't until I was a senior in high school when, you know, when theater came into my life and I was like, oh, I love this thing and I don't think I'm ever going to stop doing this thing and I really haven't since. And it's just kind of, you know, it's the oldest art form. It has survived so many things. Um, and it's the most intimate one. Um, it's the most, it has the most pure expression. Um, it's, it's literally in your face uh, in its best, uh, at its best times. And I just love that feeling of going to see a show and knowing that no one else is ever going to see that show exactly how you saw it, when you saw it at that moment. And there's just something really exciting about that. And I'm someone who really, you know, my work is dialogue driven and there's no better place for that kind of work than the stage. You know, I grew up in a family that was, you know, dinner table conversation kind of family. Yeah, everybody's talking over each other, talking about their day or gossiping about somebody or saying what went down at school. Um, and, and so that's kind of embedded in me to this right in conversation. Um, I could never write like an action movie because it'd just be a bunch of people sitting in the back seat of a car talking. So, so yeah,
1: uh, that's that's so beautiful, and uh, I love your point about it, theater being one of the most intimate forms of art. Because um, I was also on the literary committee, so I had the uh, pleasure of actually reading more of your. Uh, pieces, not just Burning. boy. Um, and obviously ultimately boy was what we felt worked right now within, um, the virtual realm and, yeah. um, with everything happening within the world. But I also noticed, um, how intimate the conversations are through and through each of your pieces Um, especially because they typically brought to light a lot of um, figures of men who had given their bodies in some shape, form or fashion to like fulfill an honorable role, whatever they deem honorable within their family. And specifically, you spoke to a few people Uh, with disabilities, Um, and I'm just curious of where that inspiration came from um, and and where these stories specifically stem from.
0: They come from being the most imperfect human being on the planet, probably. Um, They come from seeing people in school, in life, in my family, who are so often defined by what they are and not who they are. Um, you know, we're talking about veterans, we're talking about senior citizens, we're talking about people who might struggle with addiction, we're talking about people who might love in a different way than, than might be acceptable to another person. Um, and I, I hate, you know, because, you know, being an African American male, you're naturally born a number. People naturally see you as, you know, possibly future inmates, so, so on. I don't want to be defined by that. If someone were to tell my story, I wouldn't want them to tell the story of a black guy. I'd want them to tell the story about a guy who writes plays and lived whatever kind of life I've lived. And I think that's the same across the board. You know, I think a disabled veteran doesn't want to be called a disabled veteran. They want to have their name said. They want to have their story told. They want to be in you know front and center, being able to speak their mind and their heart like anyone else would be able to. And, you know, I'm also someone who's sick of seeing, you know, Barbies and Ken's all the time. I mean, that's nice, but at some point it's like, okay, we've seen this before. Um, and it's, it's plastic at the end of the day. So, so let's cut through all that and and get to the real stuff, get to the, get to the lives that are really interesting to me, get to the, you know, the people who can't afford to pay their rent. What are they doing Um in those last hours before, you know, the sheriff knocks on the door. Those are the stories that interest me, because those are the stories I can relate to, and those are the stories um, that I grew up around. I can't tell anyone else's story, because at the end of the day, no one can tell your story but you. Um, Someone else can try, but they're not going to get it right, Um, and it's going to come off like they were trying to tell someone else's story, so only you can purely uh, convey those emotions, Uh, so, so Yeah.
1: Yes, Asha, I love that. Only you can tell <laughs> your own story and only you can get it right. Yeah. Um, it's, what would you say is the best part about playwriting for you?
0: Um, the best part about playwriting has to be, and this is going to sound contradictory, but it is both the freedom and the restrictions. It's the freedom to be able to tell any story you want Um, but it's also the restriction of knowing most of the time you're on a stage, you can't do, you know, car chases or backflips or anything like that. So it puts you in a mindset to where you have to say really key in on, again, those human aspects and say, okay, what is the story I'm telling? Um, I have two hours, one stage, possibly one set and maybe 99 seats and I have to keep all these people awake for that time. Um, You know, this isn't, you can't pause a play. You can't pause a musical. If you're in there, you're either in there or you walk out, and you don't want somebody to walk out in the middle of your show. So it's a much more of a challenge to engage people. You don't have the loud noises. You don't have the cuts. You don't have any edits. So it's really you know in the moment, and it's something that interests me um, because you know some of the best pieces of art I've ever seen are theatrical. Um, I think of Angels in America, which is, you know, those are it's four-hour epic, um, but you're engaged the entire time because, you know, Tony Kushner makes you fall in love with these characters. Um, And I think of August Wilson and Fences, which is probably the most influential play. You know, when I saw the dialogue of Fences, I was like, oh, God, like that is (laughs) as insane, the delivery and the cadence. Um, it's, It's a poetry to the way the lines are written and, and and has to be spoken. I was just watching clips from Jitney last night just for inspiration, just to be like, okay, let's go back to, you know, 101 on how to write dialogue. And and that's just what stands out in theater. It's just you have to be loud and you have to just keep everyone engaged.
1: Yeah, and and you mentioned August Wilson, um, and some of his work. Do you have any other uh, artists that you particularly look to as inspiration, or uh, in your work, I also notice a trend of like superheroes um, or mention of super figures. Who are your superheroes?
0: Oh man! Well, I mean, you know, it starts outside of arts. The the superheroes start in the family. Um, you know, especially with boy, I think the father is is a copy and paste of my grandfather. Because I I grew up without a father, so I didn't, I wasn't basing that off of, oh, conversations I had with my dad. I I, I based it off of, you know, this man who's this towering figure um, and who is the most kind of quiet, um, observant man on the planet who only talks maybe once a day um, and only when he has something smart or funny to say. And, um, but, who is also a genius and is the smartest person I I know um, and also the most honest and the one who will kind of even if you have a flaw and even if you don't exactly do you know what society or what other people might think you should be doing you know he's the one who's like do it if you love it do it no he's an engineer and I write plays that's kind of you know and and he really doesn't he doesn't mention it he doesn't try to he's never tried to push me in that direction. Um, and so especially with the, the father character and boy and just the honesty and the, the acceptance was really based on him. Um, and of course my mom, I think any, any woman who can raise a man um, by herself is a superhero without a cape. Um, and so her and, and teachers and friends and then when you get into the arts, people like Spike Lee. Spike Lee is a person who, you know, I was like, oh, I can do something in this business because he he did. And he did in such a raw and honest way. And then, of course, August Wilson and just kind of the legacy he left behind with the shows. Um, Tony Kushner, Aaron Sorkin, um, and music. I think I I really... You know, before I wrote plays, before I did anything, I was the kid listening to hip-hop music. I was the kid, you know, growing up in Houston, Texas, listening to 97.9 and 102.1. I mean, you know, so, you know, the stories in hip-hop music, the way that the best rappers can tell their whole life in three minutes and in complete rhyme and verse, is it was just like, okay, well, how can I tell a story in 15 minutes with a beginning, middle, end? and have it have some kind of flow um, or some kind of style. So I take inspiration. Everyone is my superhero. Anyone who has ever given me a chance is my superhero. You guys are my superheroes. <laughs> um, because, you know, that's, because we, honestly, we're in a business to where you get rejected more times than you get accepted. <laughs> you know, I, I read a rejection email right before I got on. And, you know, you have to be, you have to have the guts to be able to be like, all right, and you brush it off and you got to move on um and and so the people who do see something in you and the people who do say okay kid we'll give you a shot those are the superheroes to me so so everyone
1: yeah and and this is good uh you you speak about what I hear is the fundamentals right like people right in front of you people that you see every day um and a lot of these playwrights that you've mentioned or or just movie producers that you've mentioned are just obviously, like the blueprint uh, within our modern day uh, art world. Um, and from your work, also just getting down to fundamentals, it seems as though to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, it mm-hmm. seems as though you also challenge um. The, the idea of masculinity um and what it means today, and could you speak to me about that and masculinity in some of your characters and what that looks like?
0: Yeah, you know again, I was raised by women mostly. I grew up in a house with my mom and my um and my sister, so I was I was completely surrounded by women my entire life. Most of my teachers were women. Um, my, my late aunt lived with us at one point. So I was always around women. And they never taught me a man is someone who does ABC. They taught me a man is someone who has respect, who works as hard as he can, who provides, um, and who does what he needs to do. Um, and I think especially today, the idea of masculinity is, is very skewed and it, it's very toxic in a lot of ways. And it's taken a real left to, to kind of how the traditional uh, masculinity or gentleman, uh, whatever that meant, you know, in, in the 60s, a, a masculinity was bringing home the, the check and, and feeding right. your family. Now masculinity is, you know, a whole lot of crazy stuff that, that can't even be talked about. Um, so, so yeah, I, I like challenging those notions or challenging those status quo's because listen, I'm a guy who loves you know hip hop and basketball as much as he loves musical theater and as much as he loves um, Taylor Swift. So and, and you know I can still probably play basketball, play circles around somebody (laughs) while listening to Taylor Swift. So, I mean, the idea of quote unquote masculinity is kind of ridiculous to me. I feel like masculinity is what you make it as long as you're doing the right thing with it, as long as you're respecting your body and other people's bodies with it. Um, So, yeah.
1: Yeah. um, So, and to bring it back to playwriting and, and the process of that, what would you say is the hardest part about playwriting for you?
0: The hardest part that I found is trying to avoid repetition Mm. because, you know, because it's so easy, especially when you're dealing with dialogue, we only know so many words. And so I often find myself saying, have I written this before? Have I written this line? Have I used and too much? Um, and things like that, and just trying to find synonyms and find new ways to tell a story. I'm, I'm writing a play now. I'm, I'm almost done with it. I have it up on my laptop. I'm 70, 71 pages in, um, so I'll probably finish it tonight. And, you know, I, I tried to completely write differently in this one in a whole different voice. You know, usually they, my shows take place in like a city or suburb environment, and I just took this and put it in like the Louisiana country, um, just just to kind of be able to freely use another voice and not have to worry about, have I written this before? Because there have been times that I've written a show and then I'll like someone will put on a show that I wrote a year before and I'll be like, oh my God, I used the same line in that one as I did in that one. Um, so the fear of repetition is 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 real. And also, again, it goes back to that whole thing about wanting to keep people awake and keep people engaged. Because um, I have fallen asleep on plays. I have, you know, watched plays online and X'd out because I was like, this is just moving so slow. This is like, it's just so, and it's was like, no, it's artsy. No, it's boring. Like, it's just, <laughs> I can't, like yo, I can't, I can't watch this. Um, like put something that moves a little bit faster. So just trying to keep all those things um, together.
1: Okay, yeah, because um, I've only read your some of your short stuff. So you have a plethora. It sounds as uh, like of long, long, and short plays, right? Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. We're going to take a short break for a community announcement.
0: Mark your calendars: Manifest MiniFest, our virtual short play festival, is September twenty fourth through the twenty sixth. This year, we are presenting four short plays and four artist workshops, including a playwriting workshop from Christiana Ray Colon and Idris Goodwin. More information can be found
1: on our social media and website at newmanifest.org. And back to our conversation with Chris Eli Black. And and you you already mentioned that we we are seeing a lot of digital shows. Um, and even with our mini fest, it's going to be digital this year. Um, but what is the play, the future of playwriting look like for you?
0: I think the future of playwriting and the future of theater looks the same as theater did one year ago. Um, like I said, theater has survived things. Theater has survived a play already. Um, we will bounce back eventually. I have no doubt about it. Um, for the simple fact that the people who do theater um, usually are really crazy about it and they won't you know they will make sure it comes back in some capacity um, and and but i don 't know what the immediate future of that looks like i don 't know if that will involve you know only being able to fill up half the theater i don't know what that looks like in terms of broadway and and financial things because at the end of the day the biggest examples of theater or business. So I don't know what that side looks like. I don't know what union stuff and, and actor safety looks like. But I think that playwriting and theater, you know, I've written more in the last five months than I have in all my whole life. Um, simply because I had the time and I've been able to meet mm-hmm. people from all over that I would never have had the chance to meet and never would have had the chance to work with. Um, kind of ironically, if there wasn't a pandemic happening, which by the way, who knew? I mean, right. n- who knew that in, in February, who knew that we would be still here in, in September? Um, yeah, September. I, I lose track of my months. <laughs>
1: <Same>. <laughs> um, so,
0: so yeah, I think that the future is bright. I don't know how long it's gonna take to get there. I think that people are slowly transitioning. I know they did like a production of Godspell in I think either California or New York that was like socially distanced and they're doing um, little things like that. Um, I don't know what that means for quality, but right now I think that, you know, theater hasn't stopped anyway. Yeah. Um, it's just taken a new form. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of theater. Like Hollywood shut down and they were like, we're not making anything for the next few months. Theater was like, we're gonna figure it out. Because we need to work um, whether, you know, we get paid or not. We need to, we have passion, you know, we'll pay the bills later. Give me a, give me a sonnet. So, yeah.
1: Right. So uh, have you considered, I guess, writing theater specifically for the digital realm?
0: I uh, I have, um, but I find that, if I I have one show, it's kind of strange. The one show that I wrote specifically um, for the digital kind of landscape uh, is a play called Concrete Jungle, and that's the play that's kind of done better than anything I've ever written to this point. Um, sensibly, I guess. Uh, you know, I wrote it for one festival and kind of put it on a shelf, and then yeah. it's been done a bunch of other times, and I'm like, I guess that might be why. Um, but, you know, I don't want to have a whole bunch of zoom plays. Sure. I feel like we can still have traditional theater, um, in some sense, um, without saying, I'm going to mute you. Ah, ha! I ha, ha. get it. Cause we're on zoom. I feel like in March, like March, April ish, that was fun, um, to write shows around that. But now it's kind of like, can we just, we can pretend at this point, anything is possible. We've seen so much in 2020, nothing surprised. You could tell me that you were talking to me from the bottom of the ocean. And I'd be like, you know what? That's the least shocking thing that has happened. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's so true. So how are you staying inspired during this time?
0: Um, I'm staying inspired because I think I have a very strange optimism. You know, I'm someone who has lived a very certain kind of life, and the things I have received um have all come out of hardship. The only reason I can write the shows I, I write now is because I've been through some things that allow me to accurately use that voice. Um, I have been at the bottom, uh, and have had to work my way out of that and also. Again, it's just being able to meet people from all over in different places. You know, being in this kind of screen, getting out of bed and just turning on your phone kind of society now, kind of generation or age, I guess you could say, uh, has allowed me to work with theaters in New York and work with theaters in London. And I don't have to, you know, I don't have to put on pants. So it all, so it's all gooch. Um, so I have hope that, that, you know, at least in my mind, I'm optimistic about, okay, I know once this does end, I won't end. Like, this is not the yeah. end-all be-all. I know I have something that will come next. I know I have things set up for next year because we've been kind of forced to do this. Um, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't be talking to you right now for the simple fact that I would have been able to do the, the play that I was going to be in at the time. Hadn't been focusing on that, I wouldn't have written anything probably. Um, certainly not as much as I I have in the last few months. And so you know you ha- you have to look at the bright side of things if you don't want to be depressed for the rest of the year. Um, and and that's what I'm just kind of trying to do. So to the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and and you are uh, a performer as well. Um, I'd like. To- to hear a little bit about how you balance these two different hats that you wear as an artist? Um, not well, not well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I always say, you know what, every single time I like act in the show, I'm like, this is the last one. I'm retiring, I'm done. I'm just going to focus on writing. But then one comes along, I'm like, oh, that sounds good. Um, and and so I'll, I'll get back in it. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the writing and the acting goes hand in hand. I think being an actor makes me a better writer because I know what actors want. I know what I want out of a play as an actor. I know the kind of um, roles that I want. And, you know, and so that translates into the writing. I'm like, okay, this is this is what I took away from this play that I did, that I acted in. And now I can kind of have an idea of, of how to write it. And, you know, I was a performer before I was a playwright. You know, I got on the stage as as a slam poet first before anything else. Um, and and so you're yeah, performing. And it just feels different. You yeah. know, when you watch something you wrote, it's like, okay, that's cool. They did it. But when you're in it and this is that intensity and your stomach's bubbling beforehand and you suddenly forget all your lines right before you go on mm. and then you're shoved out and, and it's like you're a whole different person. Um, and you, you just do the thing and you don't even think about it, this kind of muscle memory and, and it's just an exciting feeling. it is truly, um, you know, I would say there is a special place in, in the mental hospitals for the, for the theater people, because we, (laughs) because we put our brains through things that, you know, anyone who can memorize three hours of a Shakespeare play needs to be on some kind of medicine. Um, so yeah, I balance it how I balance it and, and I, and, and yeah, I just, I just enjoy it all, you know, we, we fall in love for a living. Um, and so it's, it's nothing negative that I can say about either way.
1: Wow. That right there is powerful. We fall in love for a living just over and over. I love that. Um, do you have any advice to share for other artists interested in playwriting?
0: Um, Do it and don't be upset when it's bad. Um, Because I look at the plays I wrote at 18 and 19 and 20, and I thought I was writing my magnum opus and I read them now and I'm like, kid, you had no idea what you were doing, but you have to get through the bad stuff to get to the good stuff. You have to make those mistakes Um, in order to kind of cut through that all and say, okay, this is what not to do. And also find your own voice. Um, Don't try, don't look at your favorite writer, your favorite performer and say, oh, I'm going to imitate that because it's going to come off like you're imitating that. It's going to come off as a really bad copy. So find your own voice and just do the thing and do it over and over again. And don't be afraid to fail. Um, Failing is the best thing you can do when you're writing. Um, your first draft is not good. I'm just gonna tell you now, your first draft is awful. Um, go back and read it, even if it's long, just take a few days, read page to page, say it out loud, talk to yourself. Don't be afraid to talk to yourself. I was walking to the store today and I was talking to myself with three different people because you gotta hear it. You gotta, cause you know, you can write an exchange and then people actually say it and it's like, this doesn't sound like conversation at all. So go back and forth with yourself, time yourself, um, know your speed, know your style um, and and tell your story and do it in a way that only you can do it. And that is how people are going to notice you. People aren't going to notice imitators. Um, Unless you want to be a TikToker or a YouTuber to do the same thing everyone else does, isn't a good idea. (laughs) Um, You got to have your own unique voice. As the only way you're going to stand out. Um, and, and, and so, yeah.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It's, it's definitely been a pleasure just to get into the mind of the artist, um, whose work I'm directing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, it, it definitely gives some insight. Um, is there, any way we can um, reach out to you or find you or follow you or any future works other than boy that you have being produced.
0: Um, Yeah. I I spend way too much time on social media. So you can find me on Instagram at Chris Eli black. um, And I post about most of my work on there. The ones I'm not completely embarrassed about. Um, So you can find me on there Um, and I usually provide the links or whatever is necessary to, um, to find that stuff. And you can also, as a poet, I was featured on an album recently. So I'm going to plug that. I'm a good friend of mine. Callie Malia curated and produced this album with a bunch of of artists of color. Um, It's called black quota. We found out it was in the, the top 50, of, of Amazon's R&B albums. It's, it was number 33, I wanna say, a couple of days ago. So we're having a lot of fun with that. So go buy that, stream that, listen to that, and all the proceeds, I don't see any of it. None of us see any of it. It all goes to Color uh, Color of Change, I wanna say, is the name of the organization um, that that has done a lot of work recently.
1: Thank you so much. I'm definitely gonna go, go look at that as soon as we get off of here. <laughs> um, But yeah, thank you so much, Chris. I look forward to speaking with you again and keeping up with you. And we appreciate you here on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the New Manifest Theater podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Keep up to date on everything New Manifest Theater is doing at our website, newmanifest.org and on social media at new manifest theater until next time.